Hello, Jason. Oh, there we go. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. So when we do the intro, this is Pam Electric Ghost, and we interview creative people from around the world. We have Jason Primrose on the line, and you're finishing out a week that we've um, kind of gone full circle. We just we talked to um, Jessica Matthews on Monday, and then we yesterday we talked to a, a violinist from Australia, a classical violinist. We're ending the week with an author. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I love classical music, so I will have to listen to that episode. Yeah, we're trying to balance out talking to all types of creative people. It's always been a focus on music, so bringing the author, you're the, maybe the second author we've talked to in the last three years, um, but it's great to have somebody uh, like like yourself on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sorry. I had to... um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I... Uh... I've done a few and I just, I love meeting new people and chatting and we, t- we got to chat a little bit over text and over the phone um, before this. So this is awesome. So like your byline on your bio is, um, is, is you're a creative chief creative officer of the cage creators, <laughs> right? Yeah. That- yeah. And yeah. you're an author. I- yeah. 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 Go ahead. Um, oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, uh, it's funny because I feel like I, uh, they, they, this term like multi-hyphenate, I kind of have to play in multiple lanes to live the life I want. Yeah. Well, I get it. I, I, try, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of bridging the gap between being a, you know, a broadcaster and a musician myself, and I do some other things. So I'm kind of hyphenated. My name's hyphenated in itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're you're um you've got a a, a multi uh, hyphenated career. I mean, you you started as a creative strategist for brands like Nivea and Nike and Freeform, and now you're doing like a sci-fi, uh, you know, Lost Children of Andromeda series seems like in the vein of like Roddenberry, you know, of um a Ben Bova, uh, you know, Rod Serling, uh, you know, some of the you know Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury. And that's really cool because I'm I'm African American. I've been a big fan of comic books and sci-fi, but you don't often see yourself represented in that in that area as an African American fan of that genre. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's how I felt a lot. And you know, it's really funny because I didn't really realize how deep like comic book fandom ran in the Black community until I went to Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, two or three I think it was three years ago and like everyone's a huge fan especially in like the hip-hop community people were huge fans of comic books and um and I always loved comics growing up and I also loved reading novels science fiction Mm -hmm. um I read things a little bit more I would say mainstream Mm -hmm. like a little bit more accessible yeah um than like Ray Bar- than Ray Bradbury or Isaac, Isaac Asimov, yeah. for, 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 for example. But um, but I also didn't realize I didn't see myself and didn't realize I didn't see myself until I got older, and uh, was crafting my own stories and was thinking, well, who is this character and what's their perspective and what's their experience and like, can it be mine or is that not allowed? Yeah. You know, that was always. I mean, I was a big fan of Jack Kirby. 
because um, mm-hmm. I was a Marvel head. And, and the mm-hmm. one cool thing about Kirby is, you know, he introduced Black Panther, one of the first black superheroes. You know, he created the Falcon, another black superhero. Mm-hmm. And he always had a very positive image, you know, a more positive image than I'd ever seen. I mean, the whole idea of Wakanda, I mean, Kirby created that. And, yeah, yeah. And that was in the 60s. I mean, that was like 67, 68. He came up yeah. with those ideas. And, you know, he's kind of looking at what's going on with the Black Panthers. And he decided to be somewhat radical and say, well, I'm going to create a superhero called Black Panther and have this this fanciful, you know, African country where Wakanda is like at the height of technology. You know, Black Panthers people had the same capabilities of Reed Richards, you know, mm-hmm. who was like, you mm-hmm. know, the most, supposed to be one of the smartest people in the world. And they had this African country that had similar capabilities. And I was yeah. like 68. So as a young black kid, I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> and, it, you know, because I was always looking at Spock, like Leonard Nimoy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was always drawn to that. And I was like, well, where's where's my Spock? You know? Yeah. And I yeah. found him in the comics. You know, I found characters in the comic books that that actually were there. There weren't a lot of them, but they're, they're you know, they started to be like Luke Cage and the Black mm-hmm. Goliath. There started to be some black characters started showing up in, in the late like late 60s early 70s so that's interesting uh yeah but we we haven't been represented as much as we should be yeah 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 and i think in literature it's an interesting i mean that was part of the part of the importance i think of having a visual aesthetic for the book series Mm -hmm. like traditionally you may not see that much artwork come out of a literature property but um but I thought it was really important to, because we live in such a visual world, right? We have Pinterest, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, and like images and videos do wildly better than text. So, so is it kind of I, somewhat of a graphic novel project too? There are pictures inside the novel. It's not full color, mm-hmm. but it is, but they're kind of black and white, uh, grayscale. And then in the ebook version, it's um, supposed to be color. Um, and so... I think it was allowing people to visually know that they were represented and then kind of dig into the text and but figure they, out they, they, well, which character. You to bring it to Comic-Con because you had that graphical content. Well, I actually went to Comic-Con with a former job. Um, that was actually a really unbelievable experience because I definitely got to do Comic-Con. Like, I probably won't be able to do it again for a, l- a little while. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I was working for a celebrity and they were releasing a graphic novel and I was on the social team for that. Oh, okay. And so we did like, I mean, we got to do all kinds of crazy things. It was, it was like the best, the coolest the cool experience thing Comic- of my yeah. entire life. The Comic-Con now has got this big integration with like movies and TV that, that yeah. when I went in the seventies, like you could actually talk to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and some, Oh my gosh. You, you actually could go to like a holiday inn in like Springfield, Massachusetts and Jack Kirby and Stan Lee would be there and maybe they'd be like three or four hundred kids with a you know twenty, thirty comic books in their hand trying to get Jack Kirby to sign them. And mm-hmm. you know, and that's what it was. And now it's become, you know, video game companies and T V companies and movie companies and like actors showing up. But that's not what it was when I went, you know, it, it but you know, it's different now. <laughs> that's so cool. That's I, I feel like I feel like originally when I created this uh, property, I wanted it to be this big thing. And I still want that. 
And I think it's really important that it gets to the people who can be impacted by it first Mm -hmm. and let them carry the, the story, you know, um, throughout wherever it is that they feel called to carry it to. Um, Because I think, especially in Comic-Con, like, I don't think I ever imagined myself going to Comic-Con when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I was so afraid of being a nerd and being made fun of for being a nerd. (laughs) That's what, that I like had comic books and action figures and I kind of hid all of that. that. You're scared of it. I was kind of waving my freak flag, you know, with, with, you know, like I was a Trekkie and a comic book kid. So, you know, I'd go with all the big guys trying to speak Klingon. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> and, and then, then, then you got the kids like trying to you know you know dress up like the fantastic four or the x-men and so you know yeah it was always yeah. kind of like i didn't care it's like yeah i'm a nerd and I, I had a bunch of nerd kids you know i was hanging out with a polish kid who was like ostracized i had a jewish kid that was ostracized i'm an african-american kid living in the suburbs and we were all like hey we're gonna wear our freak flag high like hendrix you know it's like who cares <laughs> so you got so you so you were just like the x-men you were the x-men yeah we were, were the, kind of identified with right. the x-men because like everybody I hung out with was in that kind of outside crowd you know yeah so we were, yeah we were like you know we were hanging out with kids who were who were gay you know in, in the 70s and that wasn't a big thing then you were you yeah know, people so i can understand it's interesting i wanted to get into that you're you lost children of andromeda the write-up indicates that you're kind of using it to like a lot of science fiction writers do to kind of represent, you know, like your own journeys as an LGBTQ person of color, but using science fiction, which has been really cool. Cause Rod Serling used to use science fictions in the, in the late fifties and sixties to talk about things that normally you couldn't get into primetime, you know, yeah. with the monsters on main street and all these, you know, things about racism and sexism and authorization, you know, all kinds of ideas that were pretty, but you could hide it in science fiction, you know. Mm-hmm. Star Trek episodes yeah. used to be able to hide racism content, you know, stories that challenge racism as make it some kind of science fiction world, where right? You can talk about it. So, do you do find that that's a good vehicle to kind of, you know, bring up political issues through science fiction and kind of indirectly take on things? Yeah, I think one of the things I will say that I was really, really afraid of was like how far I could go. Um, you know, as a first time independent author in terms of identity. Mm-hmm. And so having Alistair be kind of a cis male um, to everyone's perspective at this point, heterosexual, even though there are things coming, um, felt safe to me. Mm-hmm. And I can admit openly that I played it safe with him so that he could be a protagonist that people could come to love and um, and grow with. And I think that that's also been my journey, is that I hid myself a lot behind the norms, things that I thought were norms and like cultural expectations of being a Black man, mm-hmm. so that I could be accepted. And then eventually when I came out, um, some people didn't take to it very well but there was no there was no violence it was just kind of like distance and then um you know and then kind of grew into the people that were really meant to be around me were able to be around me because i was being my full self um you know all the time uh so i i think that with all of the characters there are ways um 
there are ways that I feel I've represented different populations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's somewhat about like physical identity, but it's also about like psychological identity because there are what I've observed in people is there are archetypes to our experiences so, somewhat then they're varied within those, but you know, there's, there's ways that people can be oppressed mentally yeah. in their families in society and within themselves. And so exploring those conversations within each character and their evolution through that, I think is an important part of like reconnecting to ourselves. Um, yeah. That's to overcome. Yeah. One thing it's cool. Like I was sociology major. And so I used to study like Weber and like the idea of like microcosm, macrocosm, and the mm. concept of anomie, which if you read science fiction, it's full of that. You know, science yeah. fiction's always taken the concept of like anomie and the outsider and like the microcosm and the macrocosm from you know, 1984 to like mm-hmm. Animal Farm to the dystopian pictures of like Fahrenheit 4, you know, 54. But you just find all these things that, that people take like the political world that maybe currently exist and try to create like a fanciful world with those real elements. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, you know, craft it. I've actually always loved like science fiction or, you know, fantasy work because you can actually make big moral statements mm-hmm. and, and have it kind of math. Like you kind of like African-Americans, we always kind of will like Francis Fan said, said we have, we have the, you know, the wretched earth, we have these masks. And and we all kind of wear masks in the society because in the macrocosm we kind of gotta we gotta get along to get along, <laughs> mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but then we really might have a more radical point of view, like an invisible man, like you know the idea that you might have a more radical point of view, but you gotta get through it so you might hide your true self with a mask, you know, and then eventually that might come out, um, you know, eventually in your life, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to, to add to your point is it links so closely back, like you were saying, um, anomie is like, it it links so closely back to our belief systems. And so like for, so for example, I'll, I'll talk about 2050Z. It, it will be, I'll say there's something coming soon that is related to um, getting the story and the property out there that is not a print novel. Um, and uh, I'll be releasing that um, sometime this fall. Cool. And um, I'm super excited about it. I've launched a Patreon to kind of build buzz around it um, uh, at, at Lost Children of Andromeda. And um, what happened, I think, in 2050Z, when I was writing it was over this last year, was w- what I kept seeing was this breakdown of like individuals like social structure and communication and this lack of trust, general lack of trust within ourselves. And then that manifested with our lack of trust in each other. Um, and we're kind of seeing that play out now oh, yeah. <laughs> in a, in a, in a much, much larger way. Yeah. And it's, it's hard for me because I want to believe that like <clears throat> that love and trust will be the foundation of like our collective healing and our forward motion. And so anything that kind of breeds mistrust to me makes me a little it's like, I, I kind of distant. I kind of like, I don't know if I want to, you know, go down that path. 
Um, and so in 2050Z, it tackles a lot of different things, but a lot of it is about, um, you know, sense of self. It, it, and, and I think a lot about trust. Um, and it's, a, and it's a, also a really fun story, you know, about a kid who grows up in like a kind of a rundown suburb um, that is populated like a city uh, right outside of the district, which is formerly Washington, D.C., and it's now a military hub, um, who has these evolutionary abilities and believes that he can stop the countdown clock um, that's counting down to the apocalypse. Um, so it's it's like it's kind of like when you wake up and and I'm saying to myself, like, hey, I think I can save the world or maybe I've always believed it. And people kept telling me that I couldn't or that yeah. I didn't. I didn't look the part. And, um, and then I went out and tried to do it anyway. Um, and so that's kind of the journey that, um, so that's, that starts Alistair down the path. So Alistair isn't like a Superman kind of cosmic, super powerful capability, you know, what kind of superhero would he be or super being, you know, he's not like, like at that level, like a Thor or, 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 well, it's interesting. Or do you have someone that's a, more you know they have limits you know yeah. to their capability and so then they have to kind of it makes it more interesting if you look at a yeah, character yeah, like yeah. a spider-man yeah. spider-man is limited he has yeah strength and maybe he's as strong as captain america but he's not as strong as thor he's not he's not superman but that makes his character more interesting and then sometimes he can rise to the occasion and actually mm-hmm. exhibit strength that's way beyond what he could you would think he could do yeah yeah is that kind of yeah, like would, the way your character is going definitely i mean he's like he's a he's a it was really a study in like humanity what our potential is and like how our mental state or the conditions that we're under um, affect how well we're able to do those things and um i would compare him to like he's like you know he has the like a bishop or a cyclops or mm-hmm. um you know, e- even a Black Panther or, like you said, Spider-Man, where uh, his abilities are genetically infused mm-hmm. and they manifest themselves in, in specific ways. Um, and some of the other characters are ticking more toward cosmic, uh, but generally it's more of that, like, mm-hmm. I make of it what I can uh, with with what I have. Well, I think that makes the character, you know, more interesting. I think so many kids in the 60s loved Spider-Man because it wasn't like this rich millionaire like Batman. They can just have buy all yeah. this stuff and he can do whatever because he can, he can outspend everybody. Or Superman yeah. is just like, okay, well, he's no, you can't defeat him. Yeah. yeah. Superman is pretty, like, yeah. he's pretty powerful. He's he's very powerful. He's so cosmic <laughs> that you're like, okay, they, they, they had to give him kryptonite to give him, like, a weakness. Yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah. You know, Marvel tried to come up with a similar levels of like having gods, like Thor. You know, mm-hmm, actual like mm-hmm. Norse gods, or, yeah. or the Eternals came in and like, okay, we, we oh, love them. Kirby, yeah, Kirby created like another set of Norse gods. Um, yeah, which he was always interested in this idea of new gods that that superheroes are actually like demigods. Yeah, and he wanted to kind of define them that way where. Guys like Dicko and Lee were more like, okay, I want to have limitations and create Peter Parkers or, or yeah. Iron Man. You know, the original Iron Man had mm-hmm. had something, a weakness in his heart. He actually had mm-hmm. shrapnel in his heart, so he had to put the suit on to stay alive. 
Yeah, that was more like a, a Lee idea, always to make the guy have something holding him back, kind of tied one hand tied behind your back, and then try to mm-hmm. do something where Kirby like get to give him like amazing superpower, like god level power. And it was, yeah. It was, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and yeah, it was kind of the dichotomy between Kirby and Lee is like, okay, how much are we going to try to weaken these characters or strengthen these characters? And Lee was always trying to weaken them and give them, make them have problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I think is beautiful and connective, right? Like if I'm, um, you know, there are aliens in this story too. And so it's interesting because I kind of toe the line of aliens have problems too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that... Make them more uh, human relatable. Right, right. And that just because something has lived 600 years doesn't mean it doesn't, isn't affected by what goes on. So... I think I think I, I love that it's it's true. I feel like at times, um, you know, I I think as a creator, sometimes I find myself favoring my characters to where I don't want them to be in pain, mm-hmm. I don't want them to be defeated, and I don't want them to have face things that are like so much stronger than them. And it's the same comfort level that I probably give to myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's even more fun when I can create someone or something so diabolical and vicious Mm -hmm. that like is out for blood. And my my character really kind of has to be concerned about uh, their well-being. Um, And that's something that I had, had, had been challenging myself to do more, especially in this story, because I didn't feel like previously I'd given enough odds on the, on the, on the opposite side. Yeah, so on the opposite side, you're not to reveal too much about your character structure, but like in, in, in a lot of comics, you have like Galactus, like, you know, he's going to destroy the planet, he's going to eat the planets. Yeah. You have a Doctor Doom is a diabolical, super genius, like the opposite of Reed Richards. Mm. Or you get like a Magneto, it's just like, you know, he's going to run the other side of the mutants and they're going to like, okay, we're going to take humanity out before they take us out. Um, yeah. So do you have somebody that's kind of like like a like a, a, a overall diabolical genius that's like super, you know, controlling or, or a collection of evil powers or or maybe our, our government or social structure that's evil? It's a little of all of those things. So it what I did with 2050Z was kind of start in a manageable place. So it started with, you know, there's a government and institutions there's organizations and then there's other rival evolutionaries and so like that's kind of the conflict that we see play out in 2050z mm-hmm. as the series goes on it becomes much more cosmic i would say it 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 starts out as something between like harry potter and x-men and grows into something more like Lord of the Rings meets Star Trek or Game of Thrones meets um, Star Wars. Oh, where... so you might have like a, a, a power like a Bjork, like a Borg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it beca- yeah, exactly, where it becomes just like, wow, this is epic. Like it becomes like an yeah. epic. A, yeah, where well, they were like kind of galaxy like intergalactic. Crush, yeah, gal- galaxy crushing power. You know, yeah. Like the built Bjork were like one of the best like Star Trek concepts is like, okay. You know, now you actually have this thing that can actually destroy the whole Federation. You know, yeah, not yeah. just like the Klingons are going to get into a fight like the Cold War, but beings that are so powerful they like they can just take out the whole galaxy. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, 
So it's it's you know it'll it'll end up being seven books at the end. I'm pretty sure it'll still be. Oh, only so you seven. mapped it out. You had a whole. So I, yeah, I mapped it out. Yeah. So I like I already know the ending. It's like it's a crazy twist and. Um, so yeah, in and terms so of like the sequencing, you're not running like Star Wars where you're running. Are you running a, a weird a timeline that's kind of flexible, or you're running like a sequential timeline? I mean, I guess it depends on how fast it takes me to write the books. I'm learning a lot. I'll say that. I think I learned through the first two um, kind of like versions of the books that I've already written. Mm-hmm. And this one to me felt like I figured out a good process that works in terms of editing and development mm-hmm. that will allow me to produce them faster. So I would, my goal is to have all the books finished by 2025, mm-hmm. which means about a book a year. And I believe I can do that. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave but it there. But I guess my question is sometimes in science fiction stories start at the end and then go to the, you know, to the middle and then go back to the beginning and then go back. Oh, to the do you have, um, do you have like mm. time shifting or are you more sequentially telling a story in, in that kind of sequential method? Or are you using some of the size five techniques of bouncing between, you know, dimensional time and then having a story take place pri- like a prequel? Oh, like okay. Part of way into the book where you can go back and like, you know, put light on something that maybe you kind of talked about. And then suddenly it's in the past and you bring it up and, and you, or you shift to the future and then go back. And there's a lot of time shifting in some science fiction. And I was just mm-hmm. trying to understand how, how you were constructing your, your epic. Um, I, it's more linear. Um, I've tried time hopping and I didn't do it that you, well. You didn't like it. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I, it's linear up until a point. And, and I think the, the, the way that I felt about it is that if I can write the first three books where kind of you're following the sequence of like this looming apocalypse to the point where they have major contact with this alien force, that after that, you're hooked in a way that I can start to bounce between what came before and what came, what, what's happening now. Yeah. And then I have an entire, I mean, all of the civilizations have their own history. So I could see what happens before, you know, Alistair even shows up or with his parents, I could see that playing out as a graphic novel or a mini series oh, or something like, like little, that. Yeah. And, you could do those sub stories yeah, that you yeah. could kind of fill in. Cause they, you know, the graphic world novel world, sometimes you'll, you'll run a sub story. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah, a set exactly. of characters and get, you know, go off and run these characters go go off and have a side mission that somehow interconnects like in a Marvel universe or DC universe, they have these big long epics. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like, you know, infinite crisis on you know the crisis on infinite Earth, or or Did... Marvel had these civil war, you know, which oh my god, they these big long epics that are interconnected. Um... <laughs> so I have I have um, onslaught is one of my favorite X Men sagas. I thought I just thought it was like so wild. Um, I loved onslaught. That came out like right. I was pretty young, I think, actually. I thought I was older, but maybe I was in my 20s. But I have like the full volume because, oh my God, following that comic story through like Fantastic Four, X Men, X Force, yeah. Avengers was wild. Um, I have Avengers versus X Men. I, um, I have Age of Apocalypse. I have uh, 
in, Infinity, which was a recent re, read, well, read, of redoing of the Infinity Infinity Crisis, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know if you heard about King Kroll, the new one that's coming out with the King of the Symbiotes that's like dropping in November or something. Wow. Um, but that I think is going to be crazy. I saw a video about it. They were talking about like, um, you know, something's coming and, uh, you know, everyone thinks they're prepared for it, but they're not. Um, so I thought like that was like, oh, another big epic, like kind of like multi-story, multi-level, multi-team. Yeah. I mean, I kind of grew up like the first hundred issues of the Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. When you got to like issue 48, that's when Silver Surfer and Galactus showed up. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly he introduced like the, the negative zone and then all these other ideas. And suddenly the book became kind of like this big, long story. Yeah. 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 Then Kirby left Marvel and created the new gods and that where he went to DC and created the new gods, he actually did what it comic books do today. He created Mm. the first interlinked multiple series story. He did it in mm. the early seventies with the new gods. And you know, if you bought like Mr. Miracle and the new gods and OMAC, you bought all these books, they all interconnected with this big, long story. Yeah. And people didn't really get it at the time. Now people like see that that was a precursor of how all the comic book companies run stuff now. But that's back then it's like, Oh, it, it, they didn't do reprints as much. So if you missed an issue, you missed, mm. you missed the whole story. Oh my gosh! So you could—that's crazy. Yeah, so it was. Like, I would go crazy. Yeah, the kids were trying to like, oh shoot, and like get to the newsstand, and like my mother got me there late, and I missed one of the books. And it's like, oh, I'm missing, and I have to try to go to the comic shop, and they just started making comic shops like in '74, '76, you know, and then I would be trying to find it. <laughs> but now they do almost graphic novels, and you can always get it. But back then, you, they didn't do that, and so you. You have these big long stories, and you miss an issue. You're like, oh, I don't know what's going. On. <laughs> that, and that's what happened. I totally got lost in onslaught. It was so agonizing because I was like, Ugh, I don't have all the books, but I, I loved. I just that was one of the first epics that I followed because Infinity War and the Secret Wars, um, like the Skull versus Creed, like all of that yeah. came kind of yeah, before yeah, my Skull yeah, Creed War Awakening. That yeah, yeah, that one was a good one too. Yeah, good one. Um, I think I actually got turned on to X-Men through the cartoons and then went into the comics. Oh, because yeah, that, you went to it? Yeah, the 90s cartoons just, like, changed my life. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Like, you could not you could not pay me to miss an episode. We, well, they were, if, pretty clear, they were pretty close to the book, you know, because I had been yeah, they were, like, they the were, Dark they were. Phoenix, you know, saga. The whole yeah. Dark, I was, like, buying those books as they came out. Yeah. Um, so I was like, wow, this is unbelievable, and, you know. And then the Teen Titans, Mar- DC, when you oh, put the Teen that, Titans, yeah. which was like the same thing. Like they yeah, yeah, realized yeah. they needed to do something to match the X-Men. So then they created Teen Titans. And then they had this big, long story. I'm like, wow. And they had the same kind of dynamics. So it was the first mm-hmm. time DC actually stepped up and actually started making their stuff more like what Marvel was doing. You are clearly a Marvel fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Marvel fan. I, but then yeah, the yeah. DC started to go in that direction, though. They started yeah. to realize when George Perez left the Avengers, you know, he left Marvel and went to DC to give them something like the way when Jack left and gave him the new gods, he left yeah. and gave him the Teen Titans. Then, then suddenly, wow, DC comic books can actually be more Marvel-esque. <laughs> yeah. You know what I loved? I lo- so 
I've recently, so I watched Young Justice all the way through, which I thought was fantastically done. I love the animation and like the storylines there. And I watch a lot of the the animated DC movies because I think they're oh, better they're than the, the live action ones, but yeah. they're unbelievable. Like the the um, yeah, Batman's were like unbelievable. Justice uh, Leagues are good too. Yeah, yeah. I just watched the Apocalypse War and I'm still traumatized. That was like just heart wrenching um, to watch. But I think one of the things I loved about the X Men story. It, uh, the cartoon is how directly it confronted issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I go back and look at the clips, it's so in your face. And as a child, I had no idea. But like the protesting, the rioting around mutant rights and like the way they were doing their present. I, I know, but that's because no one, no one really knew what they were even talking about. Like <laughs> no one made the parallel. It was so wild. And it was really... It well, was an aggressive that's show. Of, that's the trick of science fiction. That's what, like, yeah. like what Rod Serling was able to do in the late fifties and sixties. You know, with the monsters on Mulberry Street, he's making a statement about, like, you know, uh, he used to make all these really big statements about racism within his show. It's in black and white, but there's science fiction. People didn't get it. They, they, yeah. they, they the censors didn't stop him because they didn't understand that that's what he was doing because he he would put layers on it. Um, yeah, and when you do science fiction like that, you got you got a cartoon that's doing really deep stuff, but it was in the comic book, and so the people you know didn't realize their kids were reading stuff that was you know taking those science fiction elements and get you know not dumbing them down. Yeah, that was yeah, the cool exactly. thing about about comic books is it's science fiction, and some people might think it's dumbed down, you know, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, 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 and so true, and so true. Um, yeah, there's a, there's like, I think, you know, my influences a lot were, um, X-Men was a big influence on me. I didn't really get into DC until, until I was an adult. I, I didn't feel like I saw anything in DC that was for me. They weren't outcasts. Yeah. They were highly, highly yeah. recognized and supported and well, yeah, loved. The whole thing of like Bruce Wayne, you know, the millionaire thing and the Justice League, they got this, yeah. big, this big, I mean, the Avengers had that too, but the Avengers still had problems. But um, Yeah, I didn't like the Avengers when I was, well, until the, until like, the movies, I thought they were like cookie cutter, they like goody two shoes. I don't know. Well, I they were kind of like the Justice League <laughs> because Tony Stark is rich like Bruce Wayne. Oh, true, true. And true. so then they had didn't have as many problems except for the Hulk, who would cause, yeah. cause problems because <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a monster and he'd get out of control. And then it's like, okay, well, how are you going to deal with that? <laughs> um, but you know, and then you know, I guess the, the the thing with the Scarlet Witch and Vision, I don't know if they really got they started to get into that. But in the seventies, that was like a big deal. The whole yeah. idea of this like this cyborg and and a witch having a relationship. And and then her her powers of being like a witch mm-hmm. and being like you know people being scared of her um, yeah this yeah fear thing that was kind of like the mutant thing that 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 those issues were kind of cool because they kind of brought a little X Men vibe into the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I I, I was I've always drawn into the story with the outsider, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same, the same. And I felt like. Um, you know, my, one of my friends, one of my really good friends asked me, he was like, what kind of hero are you? And I was like, I don't know. But I realized that knowing that really dictates how I move because it, it informs like how I am the hero of my story. Um, 
so it's it's really interesting uh to think about like but i'm kind of like that epic journey hero which i think is why you know that's how alistair shows up too kind of the underdog yeah well, I think we, um, we have like you know like a lord of the rings kind of feel where you don't really know everything's kind of just like you're on this journey and, and you gotta yeah. step up and you don't know if you can step up you don't know if you really got that capability but you you get drawn into it <laughs> yeah and you don't really know what's coming at you i think that's one of the big differences with um I think that's one of the cool things about when I think about it from a literature perspective, one of the cool things about um, the storytelling and like X-Men and even most recently in Justice League, what was really cool about Apocalypse War was that the Justice League didn't know it was coming at them for one of few times. And as a result, they were completely like ravaged, like completely like destroyed. And I think that with you know with Alistair's journey and even with my own like creative journey I set out to do this thing and I I thought I knew what I was doing and I had no idea what I was doing what I would face you know what I would need to rise to and it's kind of like every time something shows up I just like make a choice in that moment and um and I think that's because it's just so like our lives it I think that it will be a stronger connection with people that are having to do that right now which is everyone pretty much well i think that kind of equates to like in the music industry if you get a singer songwriter right like a bob dylan you get like a Conor roberts you get like a bruce springsteen you get a marvin gay when somebody is actually like you know not taking a song that was written for them but they're actually the person that wrote it and they're mm-hmm. like a novelist in themselves they become like music mm-hmm. can become mm-hmm. like the great american novel when you read when you, you look at an artist that has that level of control over the work, you can listen to their work and it seems like you're reading a novel. Like even Taylor Swift's new album, she kind of stepped up with this new release and she's done an album that's more like an album. It actually is yeah. a statement. It's like a, a story. King, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, she's yeah, actually yeah. doing something and revealing something of themselves and not just trying to get a hit, but actually diving into her her psyche and revealing something of themselves. And I think that's always the, the better artist creative people or can kind of take parts of their lives and take pain and turn it into art. Yeah. I love that. I love that you mentioned Taylor Swift because I'm such a huge fan of Well, yeah. I mean, I've heard work. And I love yeah, the, the album. New album is yeah. The album is really yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's really I like amazing. The stripped down um, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. It's minimal. She doesn't need to be, she doesn't need to be a, pop star necessarily like the songs that i like about her the songs that i love the most by her are the ones that are so heartfelt and vulnerable and yeah i knew i knew she like, had a yeah. capability but she had a bunch of producers that were trying to like over producer and, and what i liked is that she went with the national which was a more of a singer songwriter band you know and then yeah. she got to that indie heart you know She's like, you know, she's channeling the kind of alternative nature or indie nature. Then, you know, yeah, Kurt Cobain or an Eddie Vedder, they're, they're allowed to get that deep, you know. And the pop stars yeah. tend to not do that. Um, except when you go back to the 70s, they did. But, you know, yeah. but nowadays they tend not to do that. You know, but it's cool that she actually channeled really what I've always told you. I'm a musician and producer. And I'm always telling kids I work with is like, you need to listen to Tapestry. You need to mm-hmm. listen to some 
some, you know, some really deep Hendrix or some deep Dylan, you know, go listen to Blood on the Tracks mm-hmm. and, and then see mm-hmm. what a songwriter does, you know? <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's really that, true. They, then, they, then when you realize what you can do with words, you know, in your song, then you can actually mm-hmm. tell a story, you can evoke emotions, you can get people to feel something. And I think writers, like you guys do that too, you know, in the same way. We yeah. do it in a little, you know, more concise, you know, little you know like a little tiny little novel that is a song where you're writing a, a, yeah. a novel that's the novel you know <laughs> yeah 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 and music has always been a huge music has always been a huge uh importance for me i think the two ways that i escaped the most were music and reading music and literature and um so i i i think when i was younger i liked books a lot so i didn't read comic books as much but i just loved getting lost i mean i read like all of the you know malin engel books i, I read a lot of um a lot of rl stein and things like that um too and i feel like uh i there's like so much music i think the one thing that i'm most afraid of or the one thing that i miss the most when I die, even though I know I won't miss things when I die, is music. Um, Because I love the feeling that I get when I listen to music. And, um, and, like, film score, from film score to Taylor Swift, to, like, Nicki Minaj, like, to Whitney Houston, you know, to, um, you know, The Weeknd, like, it kind of goes all over the place in terms of, like, what what I listen to in particular moments. But I found that uh, more recently, poetry, and then I have a composer that does some of the film score music for the for the for the book series. Yeah, on Apple Music, um, and we have your link. We're gonna promote that. But we, I, I look, I listen to that record, yeah. and that's cool. I think so. Maybe maybe we can talk about that. I know you're short on time. Yeah. But the Apple Music yeah. album you have out there, how does that intersect with the overall project? If somebody you know didn't know that that was out there. Yeah, I, you know, I think that sometimes I had a tendency to make things for myself, like that I just wanted, which, which I think happens a lot when you're a creator, right? You're just like, I like listening to film score music, so I want some. Um, And I'm a very like things person. I'm a tourist. I like, I want things, um, physical things that, that I can own. And so when after this composer, Toby out of Germany, um, did the score for my uh for my animation trailer i was so in love with that song that i was like oh my gosh i was like oh my god let's do a whole album and so he read the whole book and then he basically interpreted the book interpreted the book through music so we used excerpts from the book to kind of anchor the stories and they're yeah (laughs) and they're more thematic um the 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 excerpts And then, and then kind of the sounds come in. So he used, uh, he kind of gave each character their own sounds and you can hear how they intertwine. Well, I, I like that conflict idea because I'm a like big that. fan of rock opera from like Tommy and Quadrophenia, like you know, Pink Floyd. You know, I'm a progressive, mm-hmm. like, you know, musician. And I, I, I you know, I'm a keyboard player. I play like Moogs. I play like Jupiter 8 and mm-hmm. stuff. So, um, so yeah. like when I, I like when I saw what you did there, I said, wow, that's like a, that's like a rock opera. You know, that's like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, it's like Kansas. It's like, it's like what the seventies, you know, all these seventies bands used to do that. They used to make these things, you know, Genesis, like the lamb lies on Broadway, 
Peter, yeah, Peter yeah, Gabriel yeah. dances. They were nothing but rock operas. And, and it was very sci-fi oriented. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, that fits, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, yes, was very sci-fi oriented, you know, um, in a lot of their, their big soundscapes. And it, I, I felt that in that project. So that's, that's cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that was more of a, you know, to me, that was like an expensive test. Um, and I, and I enjoyed, I enjoy, I still listen to the soundtrack all the time. I listened to it when I write. I enjoyed creating it and I'm excited to create something, you know, for 2050Z that follows, you know, kind of larger. It'll be, no, it'll be different. It'll be different. It'll be different. It'll be, it'll be actually pretty different. Um, and so I'm looking forward to it. It'll be longer. The songs will be longer, uh, more like a true album. And I can see there being some integration in terms of like different styles of music so that it's more of a story because a real rock opera. It rock felt opera. like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, because Zazma felt really epic a lot. Of, and, and I think Zazma is that prop, like, is that as a story, it is more epic because it is moving into this like kind of big world cosmic type like that's, that's, conversation that's action and things thing. like that. I that. Yeah, I keep that yeah. coming. I, I'm always like, drawn to that. I've always been drawn to that. You know, I'm working on some rock operas right now, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I and I think that I could also uh, we will expand Zazma as well. Um, you know, and next year um, coming back around to like a secondary like push. Um, and with 2050Z, it's very much like navigating a world about to end. So there's there's a lot of movement. Like one thing that I really love was that you, is that I, I, one thing that I loved about the world is traveling and experiencing different places. Mm -hmm. And so everything kind of happens in different places. So like in 2050Z, they go to, there's the district, which is like completely different from, you know, completely different from what it looks like now. And then there's, um, you know, there's De Los Muertos, which is which is what LA was before the massive earthquake. There's um, there's London Sky City, which is the floating city of London in the sky because most of the islands are underwater. Um, so there's all these different like places that they get to travel, um, and because of that, they have their own like style of like their own vibe and the characters. Um, that are in those places are kind of not always the same. So I think the music will be like a nice story flow. I think it'll be about like 14 yeah. songs because there's 14 chapters. So it'll be about 14 songs and um, maybe do some excerpts in between. Um, would there some, be any music some, like, videos small. to go with it? I would love to create music videos. I think they would have to be animation. And maybe so maybe I like don't... anime. Like, like I'm a big fan of Japanese yeah, like anime. anime. And I did yeah. kind of oh, feel yeah. that your work could definitely go in an anime direction. You know, that, that if you, you took your work, you, you could actually do it like, you know, like a big anime, like Akira or something. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. I could see, I could see I a put Japanese that... animation company one to like, oh, we could take this and turn this into a series. So did you watch Castlevania? Yeah. Ugh. I want like that and also League of Legends has really amazing animated shorts mm -hmm. um, 
So anything like in the vein of like League of Legends or Castlevania, I would be yeah, like definitely. over the moon. It's one of my goals on Patreon. So hopefully that, I yeah. get to that earning amount and then I can but do like it. Attack on Titan, um, it's very attack expensive. On Titan is a big thing. I like that one. But... Oh, really? Okay. I'm yeah, that's a kind of dystopian type of thing. But, yeah. but I've always been into, you know, classic anime. Uh, you know, one of the things I was always into is a Japanese anime called Gotcha Man that was created by the guy who created mm-hmm. Speed Racer. In the U.S., it's known as Battle of the Planets, but the original Japanese is actually a Japanese superhero group. And they have over, like, I lived in Japan for two years, from 2004 to 2006, doing some work. Then I do an IT work. But um, the American version, they, they edited it, and they took, like, 15 minutes out of every episode, so you, you didn't really get the full story. But it, mm, it's like okay. a 200-episode uh, like big long anime series, one of the first ones to actually be multi episodes from the seventies, and it's a Japanese superhero team that are like cybernetic mutants that can all come together and create a phoenix. They they, they fly in this in this oh, wow. plane and they can actually transmute and become a phoenix. Um, and they're fighting these like aliens uh, from this world called Galactor, and the aliens are trying to take over the whole planet and steal resources because their planet died. And so the whole story is that they're trying to corrupt all Earth organizations and and then mm. steal resources and, and take take over the planet. And they, they 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 hide as like politicians, they hide as like movie stars, they hide as like regular people, and, and then they corrupt organizations. It's very science fiction look it was it was really cool. And I, I was always drawn to it because it, it, the guy who did Speed Racer, he suddenly did this thing that was wasn't funny. It was actually this story. And it's the same guy that Wow. Did and I always said, well, this is better than Speed Racer, but most Americans only know Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, a Speed Racer. So it's funny. I know what Speed Racer is, and I didn't watch it because it was funny. Like yeah. it wasn't, it was like, yeah, wasn't yeah. serious gotcha, and epic gotcha enough for me, is, and there was no superpowers. Yeah, gotcha serious. <laughs> wow. Same style. Yeah, it's the same too, art Speed style. Racer? It's the same guy. Yeah, yeah, same yeah. art style. Okay. Tatsunoko awesome. really cool. was the guy, the Japanese guy, and he. He actually has a bunch of superhero characters he created um, outside of Speed Racer, and they were super popular in Japan. And, you know, they, they did come over and battle the planets, but they heavily edited it. And now you, now you okay. can actually get the full series uh, on DVD and stuff. You, you can get it. And it was on, like, Apple for a while as a TV. Like, yeah. four, four, four oh, seasons really? of it were on Apple. Um, but, yeah, that, that art style, I think, would be really cool. If you ever watched it, I think... You know, it's kind of seventies, but it's it's kind of got this science fiction vibe to it. I like a lot. Yeah, there's there's something I kind of love about this like retro stuff. So one of my one of my other really good friends is a he's a librarian, and he has all these like old old books or like rare books. And there was the there were these like graphic, um, big bu- big big books that show graphic design styles over the oh, decades. Wow, it was, it's amazing. And one of the ones that I saw was either between 1900s and 1950 or something like that. But around the era, like the way that like the comic style was so similar to the marketing mm-hmm. style and like the way that, and I kind of wish I had seen that before I started doing this series okay, maybe because I think I would have, I would have, I, I might've gone more, more retro that, like, vintage style. Yeah. Um, but I think that I'm kind of um, going a little bit 
It's a little bit cyberpunk sci-fi-ish right yeah, you now. You could have done like Flash Gordon um, kind of Metropolis. Old, yeah. Old, like 30s yeah. Science, version of science fiction. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, so I'm kind of in that like uh, retro kind of dystopian cyberpunk realm. I think the music will look like yeah, that. Cool. Um, that's that's kind vibe. of where the artwork I think is leaning. And um, thank you. And I think that but the anime style could be really cool if it was something like complete, like something that hasn't been done in yeah, a while. We, we want to look at or the kind of a blending of styles. Style is really cool. It's probably, I, I, I yeah. think it was some of the best anime ever done. And if you, I mean, if you looked at Speed Racer, it had really good style, but it was too funny. But the, but the Gotcha Man series, and then he had another one that was really dystopian. <laughs> Basically, this, this kid becomes a robot. Um, he dies mm. and has to get transformed into a robot body. And then his dog died too. And then it becomes a robot. And then they have to fight this like e- evil robot that's trying to become like a fascist. He's a fascist. It's a robot and mm-hmm. it's a fascist. And he's trying to take over the world like Stalin. And it's very dystopian. And it's got the same kind of art as Gotcha Man. And it's like, wow, that's crazy. Um, wow. Uh, anything attached to Noko did was it's really cool and it's not widely known so it'd be cool to look at it and not a lot of people would like maybe know about it oh <laughs> yeah so, true, so, true, it would true. Give you, like a different art style people would try to think it's unique you know <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. they're like yeah i've never seen this before this is yeah, cool yeah yeah i think i think uh you know i have like my imaginary timeline and i'm also you know looking to you know the thing about it is that in a lot of times with uh, studios and things they are the ones making the investment or kind of like vouching for yeah. the viability of a property and so it's kind of an interesting space to be in where I'm like asking someone to see the potential in it and see what I've done and take it to the well, next I, I level see it. I, I um, see it what you're doing I, I think it could definitely go that anime route depends yeah. on which style yeah. you want to go with you know if it's like a bleach style or you know Naruto but you know that's already out there, mm. so I kind of go go backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you exactly. Even like you a Cowboy keep... Bebop style. I don't know if you ever seen Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. His style was like you know Samurai Champloo, uh, you know mm-hmm. Space uh, Dandy. His his work is very unique in the anime. It's not like the typical anime. So yeah, mm-hmm. anything that Watanabe touches or Tatsunoko. Uh, those are the, the guys I've kind of been really into, kind of retro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that so much. Um, yeah, I think any way that uh, can bring like a kind of a unique um, take and. Well, there's always new guys, and, new studios um, coming up with, you know, you might be able to get like Trigger or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trigger yeah, exactly, has a really good exactly. art style, and they seem to be like the most cutting edge group right now. So, yeah, if you could get something on Trigger, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hey, I'm 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 exploring all avenues. I am very excited. Um, you know, I'm very excited. I should have a final final version of um, 2050Z by September. And then it's like full steam ahead. Well, maybe so, we could have and, them come and back the main... on then and we'll talk about it. Because I always have people come back on the show. Like when I have a band come on and they've got a record, we have like a record release show. 
Oh yeah, I'll send you a, I'll send you a copy once I once it's done, so you can maybe you can read it, and then we can have like we can talk. Yeah, about I mean, it. I'm gonna in, in that'd be fun. Show about your about your work, which would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be really awesome. Oh man. Yeah, so I know no, no, I we're kind of getting out. toward the end of the time that we have, but yeah, we this has been a really cool thing. I love the podcast form. You know, I've been doing this since 2016 um on spearman and then i moved to anchor um we just mm-hmm. started doing video podcasts so maybe when we do the next time we could do the video oh yeah yeah definitely. so we, we just started doing that um but there's sometimes like the problem is i can have the best mic but if the, the person i'm interviewing doesn't have a good mic then it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah oh no i have a, i have a I, I got a really good mic um i don't remember what the brand's called but cool. it's yeah, yeah. So you gotta, yeah, that so, would be a good um, one. Yeah. That's always been the limitation. I'm always telling people, you know, do you have a USB mic to, you know, do you have yeah, good Wi-Fi, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. stable system? Um, when I do the audio podcast, it's not as important um, as the video, but for synchronization and stuff like that. But yeah, this has been great. This is going to go out on 11 podcast platforms, including Spotify, which we're part of. Anchor is actually part of Spotify. And um It'll be on Apple. It'll be on Radio Public, Overcast, uh, Google Play, many, many more. We'll give you the top three links for Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. And we're also going to promote on our blogger, uh, GoDaddy, and also our Instagram page. Okay, awesome. Yes, I will promote on my Instagram personal as well. Um, And my Facebook and my LinkedIn and every. And the cool thing for your fans to know is the Spotify um, there's a linkage between um, Instagram and Spotify. So when we create the highlight, it will go right to the Spotify podcast version of the episode. Oh, amazing. Oh, amazing. Like okay, a perfect. direct linkage. So somebody, if they see it advertised on as a highlight, they hit it and it'll go right to the Spotify version. That will be within the next hour or two. I will get that up. Okay. Awesome. So this comes out like, tonight. Like, it, it, yeah, tonight. The okay. Anchor version will be okay. available within the next half hour. The Apple and Spotify versions have to migrate, and then YouTube takes a little like a day. Um, but yeah, we'll give you the top links. The anchor link will come first, and the other ones will come within the next couple hours. And YouTube will always takes like a day um, to get through their their system. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was wonderful talking with you, and I'm looking forward to continuing to. Yeah, you know, keep in touch and, and hang yeah, out. Yeah, it's great. I, I, Virtually. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love talking to creative people. I'm always working on stuff. So, yeah, it, it, we'll see where, where, where we, we can do stuff. I'm, you know, I'm always putting stuff down. I'm, I'm, I'm writing crazy. I'm doing like three albums. <laughs> I got a, yeah. a, a deal with our Swedish record label, and I just got a write-up uh, that somebody compared some of my music to Trent Reznor, which is cool. Which is which I was going for. That's amazing. That's Actually, name checks like hate, pretty hate machine, and, and you know I wasn't hope I didn't know if they would do that, but you know when they do, that's that's cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, it's like beautiful to be seen, yeah, especially when you're trying to go for um, a vibe all the way, and they actually pick up the vibe you were going for. <laughs> yeah that is that means you're communicating that means you're channeling you, is strong you are connected to yourself and like your vision is very clear yeah well thank you for being on jason we're gonna get this out there and we have the, all the hyperlinks you gave me will be on the episode so people are able to check out your work 
Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye.